Welcome to the Nonprofit News Feed. All the news from the best sector. We give you the highlights of what we're seeing in nonprofits across the U.S. in the news. This is a proud production of WholeWhale.com, a B Corp digital agency. All right, let's get to the summary. This week on the Nonprofit News Feed, we have got updates on tragic events over the weekend that occurred in Israel and Gaza and what it means for nonprofits. We're talking about Giving Tuesday. There's cyber threats that we want to make you aware of. A lot of stuff going on, Nick. How's it going? It's going great, George. But we do want to start off with a story that has consumed not only just media in any one country, essentially global news, and that is that war has broken out in Israel and Gaza. And we want to talk about a little bit about that, as well as what nonprofits can expect. So a horrific terrorist attack by Hamas, which is the de facto government of Gaza, was launched into Israel via ground invasion. The details of the attack, which I will not go into, are just truly, truly horrific. 700 Israelis were killed, many more still taken hostage. The fighting that has since broken out and additional rockets have resulted as well in additional deaths. Um, Hundreds of Gazans have also died in in fighting um, and subsequent airstrikes. And I don't want to go into the nitty gritty of this. That's not necessarily our role here. But I think what our role here also is, however, is to take care of the real people affected by this violence. Um, There are real people that are really, really struggling right now. Upheaval, violence, communities with relations to the region that has suddenly been kind of devolved into chaos and war, are really in need of help. Jewish communities in America are, of course, already coming under increased anti-Semitism and are further reeling from the psychological impact of among the deadliest days in recent Jewish history. Civilians and their diaspora communities with all of those with ties to the region, Israelis, Jews, and Palestinians, are now faced with the prospect of a region at war, peace seems to have moved further away. And just a a really, really sad turn of events. From the nonprofit perspective, the next couple of weeks and months will also result in heightened engagement, most likely increased calls to action, other activities that come with a region slipping into war. There's a possibility that year-end giving could be shaped by the conflict, particularly with regards to organizations close to those affected by the violence. George, it feels very unsteady right now. There's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of mourning. And I think from you and I, our perspective is just there are Tons of civilians that have experienced immense amounts of harm with the Hamas attacks and subsequent violence. And there are people who really need support. And this is an opportunity for nonprofits to stand up, provide support for communities that need it, and also highlight and underscore the need for peace and the need to work to nonviolent solutions. Yeah, 
for nonprofits, I think it's interesting at a high level to realize that there are nearly 10,000 Jewish organizations in the U.S., nonprofits therein, and they're doing around $8 billion revenue each year and have assets of $18 billion. Those are just stats from Cause IQ. There are many nonprofits operating in the U.S. There are many U.S. citizens in and around uh, the areas of Israel and Gaza. The other stats that were pretty striking to me that I, I wasn't aware of here, that in Gaza, there are roughly, call it 2 to 2.3 million folks, but about half of them are children. And so sadly, any sort of war or conflict, uh, the collateral damage, because this is one of the most populous areas of the world, all of those folks in an area the size of about Brooklyn, there's just, at the end of the day, families. Many, many families uh, that are being impacted by uh, this this violence, and you know, as a father, that's just you know terrifying to think of you know people dealing with that, trying to raise children, and I you know hope in all ways that nonprofits in the U.S. can raise money to support peaceful resolutions, to support processes that protect uh, the humans involved in this uh, in this conflict, and also you know keeping an eye on anti-Jewish rhetoric and sentiment that seems to have been on the rise on platforms like X have, you know, extra weight for Jewish populations in, in, in the U.S. Yeah, George, I absolutely agree. One, one other important thing to note around this is heightened mis- and disinformation around mm-hmm. the conflict. Disinformation researchers have been sounding the alarm that some platforms are so toxic to almost be unusable when it comes to assessing factually, uh, factually accurate information among those X. Um, but all platforms are, are experiencing similar problems. So it's important for nonprofits involved to also combat misinformation, yes, but most importantly, right, what what, whoever is is listening to you, whoever is within your network in your community, equipping them with the tools to know that not everything they see on social media is real. Not all takes and thoughts and opinions are in earnest, right? And at the end of the day, what's really needed is a time of compassion in what has been just a really, really sad series of events. Yeah, we need compassion, and nonprofits can offer legitimate compassion. So I would just kind of implore nonprofits to remember their, or think critically about how they can help their communities, especially, you know, George, I'm in New York, especially that the large amount of, of Jewish folks and Jewish New Yorkers here who are especially reeling from this. Nonprofits have a vital role to play. Thanks, Nick. I'll take us into our next story. This is also one um, we're planning on highlighting, of course, um, however, usurped by the news over the weekend. But we also want to launch on a more fun note, even though that transition's a little tricky, into our Giving Tuesday predictions. So we, Whole the producers of this podcast, the publishers of the written version of this podcast, Nonprofit Newsfeed at nonprofitnewsfeed.com, have released its annual Giving Tuesday predictions based on an analysis that incorporates an adjusted linear regression, trends in Google search terms around Giving Tuesday, and national giving trends. So, George, drum roll. Do you want to announce the big number? I do. What's our prediction? I predict, uh, based on this, that we're going to see 
3.45 billion be raised on Giving Tuesday happening November 28th in 2023. Um, I think that will come just shy of 3.5 billion. And just as a reminder, last year, uh, there was 3.1 billion raised and no big deal. We predicted 3.2 billion um, would be raised. So, you know, what's uh, what's a hundred million between friends, uh, but we're we're gonna see this sort of modest increase continue in terms of percentages year over year. Of course, there are many conflating factors, and we kind of list them out. I, I think things even as small as the continued inflation concerns. I think there's still a bit of a hangover from reduced giving in 2022, which we saw on a national level. The other thing that may impact is that student loans are now back in full effect. And so, you know, that may affect a lot of long tail giving, but there's institutional giving that gets rolled into this overall number. So suddenly, frankly, uh, a lot of folks uh, under that 1.3 trillion dollars of student debt are now like back to paying that in, in the same way as before. And that and that just started. So it is uh, it is hard to predict the future, I'd say, but you know, I think it's going to be in and around those numbers. I absolutely agree with you, George. We shall see. Maybe we'll do a Giving Tuesday watch party, but for resources about how to effectively communicate, fundraise, advertise around Giving Tuesday, visit www.wholewhale.com where you can find a whole suite of fundraising ideas, resources, tips, best practices, all that good stuff that we give to you for free because we love our listeners. Yeah, the the takeaways there really are that it's the kickoff to giving season. It's the beginning, not the end of your asks and you know to to make sure you you pace out uh, your messaging because it is a very noisy busy time to be asking people for money but it still can make a difference absolutely george and by the way the time to start planning your end of year fundraising <laughs> is today yeah maybe yesterday maybe yesterday all right i'm gonna take us into our next story and not gonna lie george it's kind of a weird one this one comes from wired the digital news publication. And the title of the story is that men have overran a job fair for women in tech. So the Grace Hopper celebration is meant to unite women in professional women in tech. And this year, tons of men came looking for jobs also. The annual conference and career fair is aimed at women and non-binary tech workers, but was filled with men, male identifying men, to be clear, as well. George, this is a tricky one. <laughs> I, I have thoughts, but I'm going to let you speak first, and then I'll <laughs> piggyback off of, I'm sure, your much more coherent thoughts here. But something seems to be a little bit awry with what happened. Yeah, I mean, basically, you're not allowed to discriminate. And this was held in Florida. You're not allowed to discriminate based on gender for this type of event. And so while the AnitaB.org organization said that, you know, they more than welcome uh, men as allies, the, the nuance here is that then with regard to like the actual job fair, men were directly lying on the gender part of the application saying like, hey, and taking up slots from 
women who are there to find and have conversations in the in the tech field. So that that's where this goes sideways, where you actually have uh, lying happening and then taking over those spots, and it, but just puts them in such a hard hard position. And in 2022 and 2023, tech companies around the world laid off more than 400,000 workers, um, according to layoffs.fyi. And, you know, I, I think the, the work that the Grace Hopper celebration is going to have to do is, is going to have to, they're going to have to figure out a way to better vet that, that interview process and, and do a better job of allowing for, you know, all you know, genders to, to, certainly attend, but that that's a massive problem, I think, to to solve for. And it was sad to sad to see. And it was like a lot of frustration I saw on like LinkedIn around it as well. Uh, because it is, I think, one of the largest, if not the largest, conference for for women in tech with sponsors like Apple, Amazon, Bloomberg, and this major networking opportunity in this period of time being <laughs> being, in their words, overrun by men, which was must have been very frustrating for them. I hear you. In some ways, underscores the need for those conferences in and of themselves. Precisely. Like, this is why we exist, because this happens. Exactly. Yeah, we shall see. George, I have another tech-related story for you. And this comes from the security lab at Amnesty International. And I think this is a good segue into talking, giving our bi-yearly PSA on cyber safety, but Amnesty International has announced findings related to, in a series they call the Predator Files, that they worked on with some other security and policy-related research organizations and found that there was brazen spyware harassment of civil society, folks, politicians, and officials on social media. They documented in what they call the Predator Files Project. And essentially what would happen is there were accounts that would post links and just the mere act of clicking on a link would open your phone up to a zero-day exploit. Zero-day means that there's no known kind of remedy or block around that. The malware would verify itself um, and essentially affect your whole phone and take over everything, have give it complete unfettered access to every aspect of your phone. Um, of course, we talked about the Pegasus spyware on the show and in previous months that were also similarly used to uh, harass uh, investigators with Human Rights Watch and other NGOs. So, George, I guess uh, this is, I mean, this is scary stuff, but I guess the moral of the story is don't click on sketchy links. And also, if you're nonprofits this time of year, especially around this time of giving, is a time to gobble down on security efforts, both for staff and audiences. Make sure that, you know, every year there's instances of digital fraud, right? Organizations posing as other organizations, maliciously stealing credit cards, all that good stuff. Bad stuff, I should say. So I'd say just exercise heightened awareness um, this giving season and other giving seasons for organizations in the nonprofit NGO world. Yeah, and... It was not necessarily zero day attacks, though that may be embedded in here, but zero click attacks, which is uniquely different, meaning it can infiltrate a device without the user having clicked on a link. And I'm particularly 
worried about this as we move into, you know, our earlier story about the conflict in Gaza and the amount of misinformation that's going to be shared out there and uh, probably increases in cyber warfare that are going to take part of like click on this link to watch this thing and trying to get anybody interfering, anybody trying to get more information about the events. So uh, I would say uh, an abundance of caution for, especially if you are dealing in and around these topics uh, to your staff uh, about topics like this. So, you know, also kudos to Amnesty International Security Lab for uh, writing this up and putting it out there. Absolutely. It's good work. By the way, finding these are not easy. You take, it takes a tremendous amount of work and specialty to be able to actually track these things because they're nearly impossible to track. Because if they knew how they worked, then they wouldn't be able to infiltrate your phone. So yeah, tremendous work there. But George, what is our next story? You know, I have a feel-good story. I didn't share it with you, so I get to talk about it. And it kind of brings us into the Halloween realm. So. There is nonprofit needs help collecting Halloween costumes for sick kids. So Halloween is a great time to bring joy to kids. So costumes for pediatric patients at a university hospital opening up their new women and children's hospital. And this is in San Antonio, I should add, coming from KenS5.com <laughs> and, you know, finding ways to bring happiness to, to children that, frankly, I'll say as a father, kids love Halloween on this day. And so I, I like to see this type of joy and community brought to children in hospitals via nonprofits work. We love to hear it. George. Nick, question for you, though. You ready? What uh -oh. is a ghost nonprofit's favorite road to drive? George, I don't know. A dead end. Oh, God. I had to. It's Halloween. I don't know what it goes <laughs> to, but I'll make something up later for the email. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate the work, Nick. Thanks, George. Thanks for joining us for this week of Nonprofit News. You can find all of the links from the news articles we discussed at nonprofitnewsfeed.com. And all you have to do is sign up for our free weekly email summary. I hope it was helpful and gave you some new ways to think about the sector.